This is the Painless Health Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Avi. Living painlessly and in good health is our goal. We are here to help you get there. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Now let's have some fun and let's get painless. Hi guys, I'm back. It's Dr. Avi again. Sorry I've been gone for a little while. Been through quite a bit. The next few days or the next few podcast topic is going to be about how to lose weight well. Normally doctors kind of tell you, well, this is what you need to do. That is not exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain why the method works from the beginning. So including metabolism, the biology, and the basics behind these techniques and why we should be using the techniques and how we should be dieting and how we should be doing exercise and everything essentially from the beginning. But I'm going to start with the biology. So we're going to go all from the beginning. Anyway, before I get into all that, let me tell you what I've been through over the last few months. So we talk about stress, anxiety, all sorts of stuff. Well, luckily this year, we didn't have any fires close to our house. That's been the first time in, I think, four years. But we decided to move. My whole family and I, we moved from our house in uh, Santa Rosa, and we moved to Rona Park, which is the next city. This is all in the San Francisco Bay Area. We moved our house. At the same time, our office moved. So my main office in Santa Rosa, we moved from one location to another. It's a good move. We moved closer to the hospital and, you know, things actually work pretty well. The other thing that happened was uh, I got COVID, unfortunately. Yes, despite trying to avoid it like the plague that it is, my five-year-old son brought the plague home and I got it along with my other son. Luckily, I didn't get very sick. I don't have many major conditions and we all ended up with essentially an ordinary cold. And, uh, oh yeah, before all that, kind of the last podcast that we had, at that time, we actually switched our electronic health record, and that was kind of exhausting as well. I had to learn the whole system from brand new, even though I'd used it probably about 10 years ago. But it was a pretty big transition because I hadn't used that electronic medical record in 10 years. This electronic medical record has been used throughout the country in the United States quite a bit, and it's called EPIC. It's pretty intensive and comprehensive, and it's uh, pretty cool. Anyway, we made it through all that, including the moves, the electronic medical record, and we are now all settled. A little background now. Let's go back to the topic I was going to tell you about how to eat and lose weight the right way. I know that diet and exercise are key, but what in your diet is important and what in exercise is important? Now, there's lots of research behind all this, and I am going to give you everything sort of at the basis, basics, and then we'll go into the details as well. So the basis behind all weight loss and this is very, very simple and at the top. It is what 
is in needs to be less than what goes out. So unlike bank accounts, we kind of want to have less in than out. In a bank account, of course, you want to have more money, so you want to put more in and take out less. But here, when we're, when we're eating, we want to actually consume less than we exercise or we take out. So in, all, in the United States, all consumables, so everything that you eat, should have calories written on them, unless if you're in a restaurant, which doesn't always happen, the amount of energy is called a calorie or kilocalorie technically, but we just simplify it as a calorie with a capital C. That is the amount of energy that whatever you are eating supplies in our body. So think about this, a glass of milk, which is a low fat milk, provides about 110 calories. And the calories in an eight ounce soda is about 100 calories. Now, yes, milk has more calories than soda, but it's not that simple because a glass of milk is considered healthy by most and a glass of soda is considered terrible. Why is this? The calories from milk come from multiple sources, carbohydrates, fat, and protein. And the calories from soda are just from simple sugar. So milk also has some good stuff in it like calcium, vitamin D, Sometimes vitamin A, vitamin B12, all of these things can come from milk. While on the other hand, a glass of soda will just give you sugar and water. That doesn't necessarily mean that milk is always good for you. A diet needs to be balanced and needs to suit everybody's needs. On the other hand, milk is usually considered good. So first of all, Today, I'm really going to cover the basics behind carbohydrates. So these are one of the macronutrients, carbohydrates, fat, and protein. So today we're going to talk about carbohydrates mostly. Our body uses carbs first, and most importantly, the most. The basics behind carbohydrates are there are three different types of single carbohydrates or what we call monosaccharides. These are the basic building blocks in the body. So what we use is glucose for energy for the most part. So that's what we also measure in the, sh in the blood when we're checking for diabetes. But there are three different types of monosaccharides. One is glucose, of course. The second one is fructose. And the third one is galactose. While all three make sugars that are available to turn, that, that are actually available for energy in the natural world. We rarely eat anything that is made from these wrong ingredients because most sugars are more complex in nature and are broken down in our body somewhere. So why am I telling you all this? Of course, glucose is the most important to us because it is the main source of energy for our body. The brain the heart, and all muscles use glucose to initiate movement and nerve conduction. Now, it is not that simple. Let me just tell you that when we go to the basics behind body and the science, glucose is the main ingredient, but our body sometimes can use other things. I'm not going into that today, and I know some of you know a lot more about body metabolism and all that. 
This is just the basics, so we will go into that later. So when someone has diabetes, their glucose level is checked often and is often too high, especially if they don't have medication to lower their glucose level. So glucose is very important in people with diabetes, and it's very important to monitor their glucose. So other sugars. So there are other sugars that are present in natural substances. Disaccharides are two monosaccharides. So we just talked about these three monosaccharides, right? Glucose, fructose, and galactose. When we put two together, we call them disaccharides. So these are two, monos two monosaccharides placed together. These are more common, and you may recognize many of them. Although disaccharides are very simple sugars, they still they require an enzyme within our body to split them into basic monosaccharides in order for the body to process this, these and use them. So one of the most common disaccharides, you may have heard of this, it's sucrose or common table sugar. This is a glucose and a fructose molecule placed together. Sucrose is split in the body with the enzyme sucrase, which is actually a protein. So we'll get into that later. But sucrase actually splits the glucose and the fructose, and then the body can absorb these. Now, where they're absorbed and all that is way beyond this one at least, but I will go into that at some point. So another disaccharide is lactose, and many of you have probably heard of this. It is glucose and galactose, which are put together in the body. They're put together in milk mainly, and it's split apart apart with lactase. Maltose is glu two glucose molecules put together. So this is also split together with maltase in the body. So we have multiple different disaccharides. These are only three of them. There are more, and I know there are three monosaccharides, but these are the three main disaccharides. There are a lot of other combinations of disaccharides that can happen based on molecular structure. So the molecular structure can be slightly different and the disaccharide is completely different. So where the molecules connect and how they're stored, and these are all way beyond this podcast. If you want to read more about them, you can pick up a biochemistry book. Yes, don't read on Wikipedia. Just go on a biochemistry book and read about them. Anyway, so now we've covered some simple carbohydrates. How about more complex carbohydrates? These are the most common types of carbohydrates in non-processed food. So when we have processed food, we actually process these polysaccharides and what we call oligosaccharides. These are sugars with 3 to 10 monosaccharides. And polysaccharides, which I just kind of mentioned in passing, are poly polynomials. Or uh, they are, sorry, I didn't mean polynomials. My son keeps talking about polynomials. So Sorry about that. It's polymers. Polysaccharides are polymers of saccharides. That's why they came up with polysaccharides. These are more than 10 monosaccharides connected. These compounds are very interesting and can have significant contributions to, to food, cell structure, plant structure, and even the way things work within our bodies. So polysaccharides are more than 10 oligosaccharides are sugars with 3 to 10 monosaccharides. Now, most oligosaccharides are not digested in our body, 
but a few are digested. So what I mean is that some of them can be breaking down or broken down into different monosaccharides and some of them can't. So that's important to know because of what I'm going to tell you in a couple of minutes. So one of the oligosaccharides that can be broken down is called maltotriose and this is absorbed in the small intestine. So this is one of the things that's absorbed in the small intestine along with some other uh, mono, monosaccharides. Now, why is that important? Because most of the other oligosaccharides are not absorbed at all. So they go through the whole body and come out the end. So here's, here's the important things. So while mono and disaccharides increase blood sugar, and consumption of these can increase the chances of diabetes, consumption of oligo and polysaccharides usually decrease the chance of diabetes. Now I say usually because not everything is true all the time. Along with many other diseases, including colon cancer, esophageal ulcers, and diverticular disease. Yeah, so if you have carbs that are longer carbs, they can actually decrease the chances of diabetes and other bad things. So this is because most of these are not absorbed, as I mentioned, and are considered what we know as dietary fiber. So there's two types of dietary fiber. One is called soluble and one is called insoluble dietary fiber. Now, what are what is insoluble dietary fiber? That means that it's not soluble in water. So if you mix it with water, it doesn't mix. Soluble dietary fiber is stuff that mixes with water pretty well. So if you've ever used like Metamucil or something like that, and you're mixing it, it becomes a little bit more like a jelly substance. That is actually more like a soluble dietary fiber. So factoid. I like factoids. Prebiotic prebiotics are actually non-digestible oligosaccharides. They're usually fermented by bacterial enzymes in the colon and can be absorbed, but at a much lower calorie per gram amount than regular digestible carbohydrates. So our regular carbohydrates that we can consume are about four carbohydrates per gram. Okay. These oligosaccharides are one to two calories per gram. So you can have a lot more and actually have a lot less energy from them. So they also are fermented by bacterial enzymes in the gut, meaning the colon. And guess what happens? You get, when anything is fermented, you get some sort of release, right? You sort of get some sort of gas. So this gas is actually what comes off the rear end when we say that we are having a fart or something like that. So that's where those come from. So there are two types of dietary fiber, soluble and insoluble, I mentioned. Soluble fiber does contribute to calories, as I mentioned. Insoluble fiber does not contribute to calories and it's excreted undigested. Soluble fiber becomes a gel-like substance in the stomach and is when it's mixed with water. So when we think about what things would have soluble fiber, if you can imagine, well, I just said that these soluble fibers are fermented by bacterial enzymes in the gut and can make farts. What usually make farts? Think about beans, right? So beans are actually have high amounts of oligosaccharides. Very interesting and 
tell my five-year-old that and he'll have a great laugh. So anyway, polysaccharides can also be a large part of dietary fiber. So these are, again, more than 10 monosaccharides put together. And these are more insoluble than soluble fiber, of course. The most abundant plant material in the world is a polysaccharide, and likely the most abundant material in the natural world is this polysaccharide called cellulose. It makes up most of what we call plant cell walls. So plants have walls around their cells. That makes the plant very hard and rigid, like wood. This is also a non-soluble fiber, the plant cell wall. Now, there is also another type of, of polysaccharide that is in the natural world that is a non-soluble fiber that is very strong. It is what makes the outside of invertebrates that have a shell. So for example, the shell of a snail is all a polysaccharide, and that's called chitin or chitin. And this is also very important for the snails and other invertebrates to protect themselves, and it's a very strong material. So plants also store energy as polysaccharides. They don't store it as plain glucose molecules. This would obviously take up way too much space and would be very difficult to store. So they store it as starch, and the starch is easily broken down by plants into glucose when plants need energy. On the other hand, animals and humans don't use the cellulose around their cell wall, uh, like for a cell wall, because we are movable, we're not like wood. So we use other materials in our cell membrane, which is the part outside of the cell. But animals and humans use glycogen to store glucose. This glycogen is easily absorbed by our body, or is easily broken down by our body, and can be broken down into glucose molecules, because glycogen is essentially a whole bunch of glucose molecules put together. Starch is also a whole bunch of glucose molecules put together, but they have a different way of linking together, which makes them work differently. Furthermore, animals and plants have different ways to break down these molecules. All right, so I've talked a lot about carbohydrates, their functions in the body and plants, and all the different ways these carbohydrates are put together. I think that's enough to absorb for one podcast episode. I will go into more things about carbohydrates later, but these will be towards the end of the whole podcast series because I really do want to talk about proteins next. And that will be on the next episode. We're going to talk about proteins, how they work, and why they're important. And why they're so important for our bodies because proteins make up muscles and amino acids and our DNA and blah, 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 blah. So we'll go on to, into that next time. Then we will go into fats, and then we will put everything together. So I look forward to next time, and welcome back to the Painless Health Podcast. I'm so glad to be back here, and I'm so glad to talk to you all. Have a good week. I will talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Painless Health Podcast. I hope the information that has been given to you has been useful. Of course, I am a physician, but not yours. 
So please go see your physician for medical advice and further information about any of the topics you've heard today. Thank you again and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.